0: Turn with me today in your Bible to 1st Peter 1st Peter chapter 2 Let's read from verse 1 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 1 Wherefore laying aside all malice And all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ Wherefore also it is contained In the scripture Behold I lay in Zion A chief stone, Elect Precious And he that believeth on him Shall not be confounded Unto you therefore which believe He is precious But unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and then a rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, for unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We'll lead, end the reading there at verse 10, and we pray that God will stamp with His own approval and blessing this reading. Of his own infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 that I've already read twice in your presence. And my subject today is continuously coming to Christ for communion. Now last Lord's Day we looked at the subject of how to grow spiritually in the Christian life. I believe that that is at least in part the theme and import of 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Notice the words in verse 2, that ye may grow thereby. And we suggested last Lord's Day that these words are clear, these words are concise, and in actual fact they present three features that are essential for growth, essential for fellowship with the Lord, essential for communion with our God. In order to make progress spiritually, in order to grow in grace, in order to uh, have communion and fellowship with God, there has to be a disregarding of sin. There has to be a putting away of sin. Certain things must be laid aside as part of making spiritual progress. If we are to progress in communion and fellowship with the Lord, let's remember that sin is always a hindrance to fellowship and communion with God. Let's remember that in this context of being in a relationship, having fellowship with other believers. So often we, we talked about having fellowship with God but then if things are not right with other believers in the family of God could we not say that, that that's an insult that that's an affront to the Lord. That, that could be vain, empty rhetoric in our part. Notice the first word, wherefore. You see Peter's linking back to what he has said, to the previous verses. He takes us back to his previous subject, being born again. Not only being born again, but because we're born again, we have a brotherly love, one for another that's sincere. And what he's saying is, if you're genuinely, truly born again, and you're infused with a genuine love for other believers, That when you're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God uh, and you're infused with a genuine spiritual love to God uh, and everything godly and everything that's holy, then that love will manifest itself in how we treat other believers. The genuine love of others manifests itself in how we treat one another. A Genuine love of another believer is proof that we're born again. A Genuine love for other believers is proof of the new birth. Now this, of course, is serious stuff. This is clear, plain language from the apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's a question that we thought about last week. Do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Now let's remember in this context that, that Peter mentions a number of sins five in total and he says wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings these sins are to be laid aside they are to be discarded as a filthy garment if you could imagine waking up And everybody around you is all dressed in the finest. And when you realise that you've got filthy garments on, maybe a a dirty old coat, you feel out of place. And you want as quickly as you can to, to discard the garment. That's the picture there. Wherefore, laying aside as a filthy garment is put away and laid aside, lay aside. All malice, all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Let's remember what we said just very briefly. Malice, a continual spirit of malice. That should alarm us. That, That should stop us in our tracks. This is in a Offence that's against brotherly love. This sins, these sins would make it impossible to enjoy communion and fellowship with God. This would be a sign that our heart is not right, not right with God, not right with one another. You see, if we're out of fellowship with God, we'll be out of fellowship with our brother and sister in Christ. Many profess to be saved. But if they've got a spirit of malice in their heart, it's a sign that they're not in fellowship with their brethren or with God. Remember, it's a a nasty, bitter spirit wishing harm on someone else. Then we thought about guile, deceitful and fraudulent behavior, laying traps for other people. Deceitfully working to do another brother or sister harm. Then we thought about hypocrisies. Using a cloak of pretense and flattery. Play acting to to bring another brother or sister down. Pretending to be one thing when in reality we're not. Pretending to be a friend when we're not. Pretending to be a brother in Christ when we're not. Then we thought about envies. A pining spirit wanting what someone else has we thought about evil speakings what's down in the well remember we said comes out in the bucket and peter is saying if you want to make progress if you want to be in communion with god if you want to be in fellowship with the lord if you want to grow then you must lay aside these sins you must lay aside them like a a filthy garment is laid aside Remember, he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Not only in uh, spiritual growth is the essential of a discarding of sin, but there's a desiring of the scriptures. See, I'm convinced here that Peter's not just addressing new converts. I'm sure that there were some new converts amongst them, but they're not all. I've been thinking since last Lord's Day this reference to as newborn babes. And so often we take it in our mind, well, that's the new convert. That's what the new convert has to do. But I'm convinced that uh, in Peter's mind... All the believers that he was writing to in all the churches, he was thinking about them as all being spiritually infants. Is it not true that we're all spiritually weak? Is it not true that even though we've been children of God for years, we're still spiritually in so many areas and so many ways like infants? Think, Think of the great eternity. Think of all that's going to be revealed in heaven to us. And in comparison to that, the great knowledge of the Lord that's yet to be revealed. Things that we do not know. Does it not bring us to stand in the shadow of being a spiritual infant before the Lord as newborn beings? That's what everyone in the church, as far as Peter was thinking about, was concerned uh, and what they needed, of course, when he made reference to the sincere milk of the word, what was to, to remember and stick to and take into their heart and mind all the, the very basic elements of the gospel and the person and work of Christ. The Bible, we said, was like milk. But in comparison to the greater knowledge uh, uh, that, that, that's going to be revealed, What we have already taken in is just like milk. Compared to the fullness of knowledge yet to be revealed, and really at heart, we're all to have a desire for the things of God, a thirst for the book, a thirst for God, a thirst for Christ, a desire to know and want to know more and more of him. We said last week that we... Can't grow as believers, we can't enjoy communion with God apart from and without the Scriptures. So there's a desiring of the Scriptures. Notice also, there's a delighting in the Saviour. Isn't this what we finish with? If so be it, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Another personal reliance on the Saviour. No believer can grow. Make spiritual progress. No believer can enjoy communion with God if there's no desire for the Lord. If there's no delighting in Christ. If there's no devotion toward Christ. Let's suppose we ignore the Saviour. If we ignore Him, we'll not grow spiritually. If we ignore him, we'll not enjoy communion and fellowship with God. That's why he adds the words in verse 4, to whom coming. And you might think that that review that we've had this morning is unnecessary, superfluous to, to last week's sermon. But let's keep in mind the subject. How to grow spiritually, how to make progress, and tied into that is having communion and fellowship with the Lord. And if we're to grow, there has to be a putting away of sin. There has to be a desiring for the Scriptures, standing as an infant before God, and there has to be a delighting in the Saviour. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom cometh. You see, this I believe is a reference to close, continual coming to Christ. Coming for growth, coming for communion, coming for fellowship on the part of a believer. You see, the verb coming here, or to come, is often used of coming to Christ for salvation. Come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11 verse 28. And of course the verb refers to the inception, the start of the Christian life, where there's the coming of the sinner to Christ for salvation. Remember Jesus said in John one verse thirty nine to two of John the Baptist's disciples Come and see. So so the verb is used as an inception at the start of the Christian life. The verb is also employed as a synonym for faith. Over there in John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus said um, in the verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Here the Lord Jesus equates coming with believing. Coming to Christ is a synonym for saving faith in Christ. What does it mean to believe in Christ? It means to come to him and receive him as the bread of life. The word is also used as an identification for the elect of God. Listen to these words. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me. I will in no wise Cast out It's also used of Ongoing fellowship and communion To him coming You see the same verb Is translated uh, in Hebrews 10 and 22 Let us draw near See it's not just the act of a moment When you Come to Christ as a sinner And accept salvation it's not just a, 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 a synonym for saving faith. It's not just an identification that you're one of the elected. You've come to Christ. But there has to be a continual coming to Christ. And a continual coming to him that there's a complete reliance on him. Let me try and illustrate. Many have come to Christ for salvation. they profess to be a believer. They've gone on well for a while. And then for some strange reason they've felt... And they feel, I've got to continue in my strength. It's up to me. It's my ability. And I've got to try harder to overcome this temptation. I've got to do better. I face temptation. And oh, I'm so weary. And oh, I'm, I'm struggling. And I can't cope. And I, and I can't overcome. And I can't put away this sin. Trying in their own strength. Feel it's up to them. They can't do it. And when it comes to coping with trials and troubles. There's a fainting. There's a falling. Why? Because there is a neglect of this thought. Let us draw near to Christ. Let there be a continual coming to him. For all the strength and the grace and the help that I need. The reformed Puritan. Richard Baxter, who wrote The uh, Reformed Pastor, very good read, he he said this, and I quote, that one only makes progress in the gospel who in heart continually comes to Christ. And that's exactly the sentiment that's in Peter's mind when he said, If so be it, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Now, notice three things, and really this is the heart of what I want to say to you this morning. Notice the person of Christ described. Four things about the Lord. The Lord is gracious. That's taken from Psalm 34 in verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a reference to his infinite graciousness. His infinite goodness. Christ is all good and only good. Christ is all grace and only grace. He's always full of grace and always full of truth. Remember what the the, uh, Apostle Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. It was grace that caused him to be incarnated in the womb of the virgin. It was grace that caused him to become a man, manifest in the likeness of sinful flesh. It was grace that caused him to become a beechant unto death. It was grace that caused him to lay down his life in an atoning death. It was grace that caused him to to endure the cross. It was grace that caused him to finish the work that the Father had given him to do from all eternity. Is it any wonder Paul was taken up with Christ? He talked about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that ties in. The Lord is gracious. And we're to fill our minds as we think of his person with how gracious he is and how gracious he has been to me. And he, of course, who is rich in his person, yet for your sake became poor. Paul says, for ye you know the grace of God. And it speaks of intimate knowledge. It speaks of acquaintance, undeserved unmerited favour of God to me and to you. Notice very quickly, he's not only gracious, but he's a living stone. To whom coming is unto a living stone. Isn't this a paradox here? A stone is no life. Yet Christ is called in the Bible a living stone. You see, in Peter's mind, the stone has a figurative meaning. Qualifies the word stone with the adjective living, and the Jews were familiar with the picture, the foundation stone of a building, or the cornerstone of the building. It, it refers to to the strength and power of a stone, and what he's saying is that Christ is the keystone <laughs> of the building. He's alluding to the Book of Psalms, I believe, uh, Psalm one hundred and eighteen uh, and verse um, uh, twenty-two. Uh, And he he makes the statement there um, uh, about uh, the, the Lord Jesus. Psalm 118 and verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now there's many references to stones in the Bible. And many of these references all refer to Christ. Upon which the church is built. A living stone he says. He is life. And he imparts life. Think of Christ. He died. He laid down his life for us. He says I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. Christ is the power of an endless life. The power of abundant life. The power of eternal life. And our life depends on him. And when you come to him. You come not only to one who is gracious. But you come to one who is a living stone. who has life. The fullness of life. Notice also he's chosen of God. Disallowed indeed of men. And that thought disallowed indeed of men means is, is rejected after a trial. You, you, you think of the trial of Christ and the men that tried him. Did they, they judge Christ by their own standards? Did they, they judge Christ by their own prejudices? By their own thoughts? they judge Christ by the blindness of their heart? They, 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 they judge Christ in a very slanderous way. Even falsely accusing him. They counted him for nothing. Not one chosen by men. He was despised by men, rejected of men, yet chosen of God. God was well-placed with Christ. The cornerstone of the building. The perfect cornerstone. You see, you can't just think of the person of Christ without thinking of the work of Christ. The two go together. He's chosen of God. God was well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well-placed. Notice very quickly. The Lord is precious. Notice the words, I'm precious. Did you pick it up in the reading? Three times the word precious is being used. It's used in verse 4. It's used in verse 6. It's used in verse 7. He is precious. But we're drawn to the fact that, that he's of indispensable value. There's not one so precious as the Lord. Now, now let's try and get the picture this morning. To whom coming as unto one who is gracious, a living stone chosen of God and precious. In other words, he's the all-perfect, the all-powerful, saviour of his people. And the question that faces us this morning is this. If we have come to Christ for the inception of spiritual life. And if we equate our coming to him as a synonym for believing and trusting in him as Lord and Savior. And we have that assurance that we're numbered among his people. Is there a yearning in our heart for close continual coming to him in order to make spiritual progress, in order to grow, in order to develop in our Christian life. You see, if you take away Christ from our hearts and lives, take away Christ from the life of the church, what have we left? If nothing. See, Christ is all that we have. Christ is all that we are. You see, if he's not gracious, if he's not a living stone, if he hasn't been chosen of God, if he's not precious, then what hope do we have? We have absolutely none. There has to be a continual coming to him on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. I have to say this, and uh, this is true of me, I, I think too little of Christ isn't so often we can go through the day and we're so engaged with all the activities to hand whether it's work at home or work elsewhere and we forget to fill our hearts and minds with him if he is our all in all and everything that we need and all that we are and all that we have then let's have high thoughts of him Let's fill our hearts with him. Let there be a continual coming to him. A continual coming to the person of Christ, the one who's gracious, the one who's a living stone, the one who's chosen of God, the one who's precious. Notice very quickly not only the person of Christ described here, but the privileges of Christ declared. He says in verse 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. See, he's building a picture here. He's telling us what we are. We're not only as newborn babes, spiritually infants until we get to glory, but we're also living stones. Now remember he's writing to real and true, genuine believers. He says in verse 3, If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. They have tasted, taste and say it, the Lord is good. To whom coming they have initially come and are continually coming to him. And notice if you tie it into the verse 6, And he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. There you've got tasted, coming, believeth. That's a reference, of course, to, to faith in Christ. It's a reference to the fact that these people have true saving faith. Here's a people in union with Christ. Here's a people who are savingly joined to Him. And of course, now that they have faith in Christ, they're going to enjoy and engage in great, immense privileges. They have been brought into a mystical union with Christ, a saving, a real, spiritual, living union with Christ. And what have they been granted? What have they been given? Let me just suggest very quickly, they've been granted spiritual life. Notice, he also was lively stones. They weren't always lively stones. These people were once dead in trespasses and sins. They were dead to God. They had no spiritual life. They had no desire after Christ. They had no heart devotion for him. Their hearts were like a dead stone. They were sinful. They were cold. They were spiritually light lifeless. There was nothing in Christ that they desired of him. And then what happened? They were born again. Isn't that what he says? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And the moment they were born again of the Spirit of God, through the word, they became a living stone. And they were granted the life of Christ. John 10 and 10, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Think of a people brought out of spiritual deadness into a state of spiritual delightfulness.
1: Brought into
0: union with Christ and been given the life of Christ. Christ, remember, is called a living stone. And there, are lively stones. So it's not only spiritual life. But there's a spiritual likeness. Hasn't every true believer been made a partaker of the divine nature? Isn't this what Peter goes on to say in the second letter? Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He is a living stone. And because we're now in union with him, we also have been designated living stones. See, we've been not only born into God's family, children and infants, but we've been brought into God's house. We're lively stones. And as he goes on to say, are built up a spiritual house, a house of stone. You see the temple in the Old Testament That was but a a picture of the church of the firstborn throughout the world. Each congregation, dead in sin, made a living stone, one stone built on top of the other. See, that's why Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 3.16 could say to the church there, um, ye are the building of God. And and in that context, people... Peter or Paul was writing to a people that were divided. Remember, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. Thought they were more spiritual. People divided into various factions and groups. There was disunity. There was discord. There was the manifestation of these sins, malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings amongst them. And and in order to, to deal with a spiritual problem, Peter brought them to this, or Paul brought them to this place where they needed to get their eyes in Christ. And remember what they were. Ye are God's building. Ye are being built a spiritual house. You're all part of the one building. You shouldn't be divided. There shouldn't be discord. You're all part of the one body. You're all part of the one family. See, they've been granted a spiritual likeness, And so often we forget that in our treatment with one another. One stone in a building is laid on top of another stone, alongside another stone. You don't hear the stones in the building saying, well, I don't want to be beside her. and I don't want him to be uh, beside me or or underneath me or on top of me. You hear nothing of that. Why should it be any more in God's house? There shouldn't be any beggary or any bitterness amongst the people of God. If we're born of the Spirit and there's a brotherly love, there won't be a brotherly loathing. And because of that brotherly love, we'll recognize he or she's a living stone. Built in the same spiritual house that I'm built in. They're my brother, they're my sister in Christ. And how I treat them reflects my thought and attitude to Christ. They've been granted spiritual labor. Notice this. And holy priesthood. As a reference to the priesthood of all believers. And that was um, something that was uh, in a sense resurrected out of the times of the reformation with the reformers. It was restored to the life of the church. You see in the Old Testament times only one tribe could, could be priests. Uh, And only one family out of that tribe, the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron, could serve as priests in the temple of the Lord. Uh, And now that Christ is the great high priest and the gracious high priest of his people. And he lives forever in the power of an endless life. He has given us the joy of serving him as priests of God. We're to offer up as priests spiritual sacrifices. What do we offer? Offer ourselves. Give ourselves first to the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The sacrifice of praise. Be be thankful and full of joy. Say to our soul, Bless the Lord. The the, the sacrifice of our gifts and talents that He has given to us. See, it all ties in here. There's a spiritual labour. And he has granted this to us Because we're in union with him This is part of the privilege of being a child of God I better finish because our time is gone Not only the privileges of Christ Disclosed But the power of Christ is declared And he that believeth in him shall not be confined You see the thought here is that Christ cannot be moved. He can't be destroyed. He can't be changed. Christ is all powerful. He has sufficient power in and of himself. Power that's infinite, eternal. Power that's unchangeable. And if he is sufficient forever then he that believeth in him He cannot be moved, he can't be destroyed, he he, he can't be changed. He's secure. He is safe in Christ. Oh that we could grasp something today and understand in our mind the person of Christ. Who who is he? Oh yes, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, he's the Lord our Saviour. But do we look at him today? He's gracious. He's a living stone. Disallowed in men, but he's chosen of God. He's precious. Precious to the Father. Oh, that we could fill our mind with this person. Oh, that we could see the privileges. Just just begin to, some of them that we have. He has given me life today. He has given me a likeness to himself. Oh, that I could see that I'm a living stone in a building. He has given me a, a labor, a job to do. I'm part of a holy priesthood. I'm to offer up sacrifices to God. I'll start with myself, Lord. and know that we can taste his power. So often we get worried. So often we get stressed out. So often we, we freak out by all that's happening in the life of the church locally. In the community we get worried, uh, even about numbers. We, we, we get worried and fearful about the, the future and well-being even of our denomination. And yet remember, Christ is its head. And if he can't be moved and destroyed and changed, then let's have confidence in our security and sufficiencies in him and we'll rest in the Lord and delight ourselves in him. Let's take that into our mind today. Let's reflect on that, focus on that. And if we do, I believe we will have that communion and fellowship with the Lord. That's sweet and blessed. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to her heart.